Our scripture today comes from 2 Kings 2, verses 8 through 14. I invite you to read along on the screen. You're welcome to pull out your Bible on your phones, or if you brought a real Bible, you can pull that out too. Uh, It can get a little hard to get between Elijah and Elisha, so follow along with me now. Hear now this reading from God. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. We're going to have fun keeping Elijah and Elisha separate. Some people have taken the second pronunciation of Elisha and say Elisha, and I tried that, but I've my whole life called him Elisha, so I will try to be clear (laughs) as we delve into this scripture. My mother-in-law is a gardener, and she is an incredible gardener. I met my husband when we were both in college, and the first time he took me to uh, his house to meet his parents, the front yard, the backyard, the sides of the house, I thought they had professional gardeners. It was so beautiful. She loves gardening. It's her, her calling, her passion. She loves learning about plants. Now imagine her dismay when her daughter-in-law has no interest in growing plants. She did try to teach me. I'll give her that. Bless her heart, she tried really hard. But everything I plant died, mainly from lack of taking care of it. She finally gave up on me. But she never gave up on her gardening. Her gardens are beautiful. She loves roses. Oh my goodness, and they're hard to grow. But as great a gardener as my mother-in-law was, years ago she decided she wanted to be a master gardener. She was not satisfied with just what she already knew. She wanted to take the Texas Master Gardener program that's offered at A&M University. And so she did. And she learned even more. Her garden became even more beautiful, if that were possible, but it had more plants in it of different kinds. 
and she achieved the title of Master Gardener. That's quite an accomplishment. You see, apprentices and apprenticeships and masters have been around for a long time. Now, some of the more common ones we may think about, for example, if someone is an apprentice to a master electrician, did you know it'll take 12,000 hours of apprenticeship before they can be declared a master? The same with plumbers. A chef apprentices under a master chef for more than 10,000 hours to become known as a master chef. And it's not people who are tradespeople, it is everyone. Some people go to college and they get a bachelor's degree and then they want to specialize in a certain area and what do they go and get? A master's degree. Right there in the title of what we study for. So, as I've been looking into this, generally speaking, to become a master of something takes about 10,000 hours of studying under a master. You must become an apprentice. Now, that is scary, isn't it? 10,000 hours or more, <laughs> how, how impossible is that? But truly, in most of these instances, it takes about five years. Five years. So, I was thinking about our our faith journey and this passage with Elijah and Elisha and I started thinking how long have I walked with God? Have I walked with God more than five years? Oh yeah. I won't tell you how many. But I think most of us here will say uh, yes I think I've been walking with God for five years at least. Some people are new to the faith and they haven't quite gotten to that point yet so they truly are apprentices in the journey of faith, apprentices in Christianity. But those of us that have walked a long time with God, we need to become masters of our faith. So I want you to ask yourself, how long have I been attending church and worshiping God and praying and going to Bible studies and participating in missions? How long have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For most of us, much longer than five years. Now, Jesus is truly the true master of our faith. But as you know, we are called to be the hands and feet of Christ, witnesses. We're called to spread the faith. So that means when we apprentice with Jesus in the faith, and at some point, we're going to be called to be a master. And if you think of it, it's really quite simple. It's one generation teaching the next, passing on talents and knowledge and skills. And quite honestly, I believe this is the way of the universe because Master Yoda took Luke Skywalker as an apprentice before he became a Master Jedi. This is the way. That's for my Star Wars brothers and sisters. Some of y'all didn't know I was a fan. I came to it late in life, but I'm a passionate one now. Come to my house, I'll show you my baby Yoda. Now, for Christians, it is passing our faith on to others. And Scripture says, how will they know if you don't go and tell them? And if those who walked with Jesus for the three years he was ministering in this earthly life, if after the cross and the ascension, the faith would not have been passed down for 2,000 years if they had just said, well, I'm staying an apprentice, that was it, he's gone, I'm done. 2,000 years people have be 
been on this path of apprentice to master to pass on the faith. Otherwise, the faith would have died out after Jesus was crucified. Now let's talk about our scripture. Elijah was the prophet under the reign of King Ahab for many years. He was known for miracles and doing all kinds of things, and if I get started on him, that's a whole other sermon. But during this time in Scripture, Elisha is there with Elijah as his apprentice. We just don't hear a lot about him until this particular Scripture, and it's very powerful. Because Elijah wears this mantle. Now, it was probably bigger than this, but all I had in my house were some pashminas. But in Scripture, there are many prophets of God, and Jesus wore a mantle, wore a cloak, same thing. And it probably was bigger than this because they could put it over their head and wrap themselves in at night to sleep so they didn't get cold. But they had a mantle. It showed people that they were a person who was serving God. Now, so, Elisha had to know what was coming, right? Because when Elijah must have told him, uh, this is the end of my journey, and Elisha asked for a double portion. So as his apprentice to the master, Elijah, Elisha had to know what was coming, and I think he was nervous. So then, Elisha watches as Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, and there's something, actually, I've studied that passage many times, and I didn't really notice until one time when it talks at the end about the mantle that Elijah dropped. Because this represents the calling of God on Elijah's life. And so Elisha's standing there, and he's distraught because Elijah has been taken up. It says he was so upset, he ripped his own clothes. And I think part of it was the sorrow of seeing Elijah taken up, and now he's gone. I think it also was the fear he had because he knew what was coming so when this mantle from Elijah drops out of the sky falls at his feet I think he just stood there for a moment and stared now he's got a choice he has to make he either says yes and picks up the mantle that God has thrown it, it placed at his feet and becomes the now master prophet? Or he says no and he walks away. So we know from scripture he picked it up. I think his hands were probably trembling, wouldn't yours be? To follow somebody like Elijah, even though you've been mentored by them and trained and watched and learned. So he takes the mantle and he rolls it up probably saw Elijah do that. So he rolls it up. He's like, I think at that point, he's like, okay. And he strikes the water and nothing happens. He'd seen Elijah do that. Why did nothing happen? But see, then he lifts and he goes, where are you, God? Where are you? And then he strikes again and the water parts. Now, see, it's not about the piece of cloth. This is not magic. It's not a magic wand, but it does represent the power of God working through humans. Because we humans do not have these powers, and it, when God calls us, God puts those powers within us and works through us. 
So Elisha's mistake at the beginning was he just picked it up and thought, well, I'll do what Elijah did. And he didn't first say, where are you, God? He didn't turn to God first. These mantles are symbols of the authority of God. And I can't imagine how scared Elisha was. Sometimes we forget that these are real human beings we're talking about in Scripture. We kind of like say, oh, well, he was called by God, so he must be just wonderful and happy and confident. No, this was a human being, and we know that's not the case because he ripped his clothes apart. He was so upset. And we've seen that in Scripture before, too. He ripped his own clothes. He did not feel ready. We never feel ready. None of us ever feel ready. Let me say that again. We will never feel ready when God calls us and drops a mantle at our feet, whether we see it or not, which we probably won't. But God drops that mantle and calls us to do something. We will never feel ready ever. So when that happens and you don't feel ready, just say, I'm just like every other human on the face of the earth, including Elisha. Now, years ago, some of you all know I'm a second career pastor, and my first career was something else, but I was regularly attended a church, and I was in a Bible study and, and a Sunday school class with a, people we knew for years. And we had the same teacher, and he was very good. We all loved him. And then that silly guy got a promotion at work, and they moved him to a new city, and he took it. How dare he? And so he told us, and he, he said, I've been praying for who's to teach this class now, and, I, and he says, God does not tell me the name, but God tells me the person's in the room Sunday after Sunday. Who, who is being called? And I'm sitting there like this. Well, who is being called? And all the time, God's going. And I'm thinking, Lord, this can't be right. This can't be me. I, I am not ready. I don't have a master's degree. I haven't done all this. I, I taught little children Sunday school, but not adults. I can't follow this guy. I had every excuse in the book. I'm too busy. My schedule's full. I, I just tried them all. And God was relentless. And every Sunday, Dennis would get up and he'd say, he would say, I have been praying and I know the person's in the room. You need to step up because I'm moving in two weeks. And I had told my husband. Now, my husband, who, like Nike, was just, just do it, honey. Stand up. So two weeks before Dennis moved with his family, he said, please, I know the person's called. Who are you? And I stood up feeling quite like they were going to laugh or something. And I said, I think it's me. And so the class surrounded me. They laid hands on me and they all prayed and they all was a consensus like, yes, it's you. I was scared. Only in our culture, we don't rend our garments. In my mind, I was. So... I said, okay. So you probably know what I did, right? You're thinking, oh, I studied, I found Bible studies, and I did do all that. But no, I was so freaked out by this whole thing. I went to the prayer chapel, and I got on my knees, and I prayed. I was following the example of Elisha and didn't even know it. But I prayed. And I learned very quickly in that experience to pray. I prayed before I taught. I prayed before I even looked at Bible studies. I prayed because it had to be God. It couldn't be me. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I'm not that ex I am not a master. But see, I was trying to stay an apprentice in that Sunday school class because it was comfortable. And God said no. So basically, God dropped a mantle at my feet. 
And it finally came to me. I had a choice. I was either going to say yes to God at that mantle or I was going to walk away. And I couldn't do that. I really did not feel ready. Then, years later, God in his infinite sense of humor dropped this mantle. Now, the first thing I want to tell you about clergy stoles, this is not to show like, ooh, look, we're clergy. This is put around our neck to remember that we are under the authority and power of God to keep us focused on God, that we're not up here doing this because we are so wonderful. We're up here doing this because God is so wonderful. This is a reminder of who we serve. So God called me to be a minister. He said, Patty, come be a minister for me. And I'd already been teaching the Sunday school class, which was my first excuse. Well, I can't, Lord, I can't abandon the class, you know. They don't want to have to go through that again. Well, I'm very busy. Oh, I, I tried them all. And actually, one of the first things I said is, me, do you know who I am? Of course. And then God sent me off to get a master's degree. It starts to all tie together, doesn't it? Now, what's interesting about clergy stoles is it has been the tradition in the church. Sometimes it's kind of falling away now, but when a clergy is called to another church, they take one of their stoles and they put it on the altar, and the next clergy comes in and takes up the stole. It is a reminder that it's God's transfer of authority that we are allowed to be clergy from one person to the next. It's a beautiful tradition. I hope it lasts. But apprentice-master relationships are everywhere around us and in Scripture. Some of y'all know I was taught to crochet by my grandmother. We sat on her sofa and we watched her stories. Those are soap operas in case you don't know that old language. But she would talk to me about God. She was apprentice. I was her apprentice. She never would have said, oh, I'm a master. But she told me all about God. And we sat there and we crocheted. And it's all through Scripture. Timothy, it says in Scripture, he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. Then Paul, he went to go be with Paul, right? He became Paul's apprentice while they were out birthing churches and, and spreading the word. And then at one point, Paul tells Timothy, it's time for me to go. And guess what? You're going to stay here. I can only imagine Timothy with all, probably had the same excuses we all do. Well, no, Paul, you can't leave. You're the one that does this. You're the one with all the knowledge, and you're the one called. But this is what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.3. He goes, you are to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct people in teachings. He had no choice. Well, he did. God metaphorically dropped that mantle at Timothy's feet, and Timothy's looking at it, and he's got a choice. He either picks it up and says yes, or he walks away. Now Jesus, when he lived on walk this earth, was the master teacher to the disciples, right? They followed him for three years. He wore that mantle, a cloak, and that represents and symbolizes the power of God. And remember the woman who had a bleeding issue, and she just touched the fringe of his cloak, and the power from Jesus went in and healed her. 
At the Last Supper, Jesus spent that time teaching the disciples to prepare them to go from being his apprentices to masters of the faith to go and spread the word. After the resurrection, Jesus gave the disciples this command to be his witnesses throughout the earth. Now they had lived and walked and ate and slept and traveled and heard and learned from Jesus for three years. But they can't stay apprentices. It's time. It's time for them to be masters of faith. To go out and apprentice other people. And in Acts 1.8, that is where Jesus tells them, Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in the earth. See, just like Elisha had to call out and cry out to God, seeking God first, the, the, whole, the disciples are to go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit first because this isn't about human power and human knowledge. It's about God working through us. It's about our surrendering to God. It's our being willing to say yes to God. But I love this part because after Jesus ascends into the clouds, they're all standing there like this. To the point an angel has to come down and go, what are you doing standing here looking at heaven? (laughs) Go do what Jesus said. It's time to get moving. Now, there are many people in this in this congregation and beyond in the faith that have picked up the mantle many times. And God may change it out. He, God may give you a different uh, task or job or, or thing to do or a plan. And so it can change. So there can be other mantles dropped at your feet by God. I gave you two examples in my own life, and I'm sure many of y'all could tell me stories too. <coughs> Excuse me. But often we don't want to say yes out of fear. It is scary. We, we don't feel ready. We have all those excuses. My schedule is too full. I don't have time. It might disrupt parts of my life. It might disrupt my plans. And, but we're trying to do it all under our own power, and that's where we start to make a mistake. So we may not pick up the mantle. We may walk away. Years ago at another church, I was trying to find someone to teach a Bible study, and every time I prayed, That man's came to my my heart and soul so clearly every time. So I went to him and I told him all that. And I said, I do believe God is calling you. So when a pastor says that to you, you know, we're not just saying that. We don't just say that. And I asked him to pray about it because he started with the, I don't know how, I don't know. I said, just pray about it. All you have to do is say yes to God. God will do all the rest. Your surrender makes it possible for God to work through you. And then God will lead in God. And so a few weeks went by, and I'd asked him each Sunday, do you feel like this is something you're willing to do? Hmm. I said, keep praying, keep praying. And then one Sunday I said, I kind of really need to know because the date's coming up. And he said, I just can't commit to this. And it was the way he said it, and it struck me. And I said, did you pray about this? And he goes, yeah, sure, sure. And he walked away. And I knew he hadn't prayed. But I'll tell you, my heart broke for him. Because all he could see was that I was asking him to sacrifice and all I could see was that he was denying himself the great blessing of seeing what God's going to do if he says yes. Ask anybody that's been on a mission trip. You see the power of God at work in amazing ways that you don't see any other place. Amen? Those of us who've been on mission trips, so I encourage you to do that. Jenny's sitting back there. She'll take your name at any time. 
But I, I did. I wept for that man because all he could see was that it was about him. And all I could see was that he denied himself such joy and such amazing grace of God. No apprentice ever feels ready to leave the master and go out on their own. But here's, here's the problem. We want to stay apprentice. It's comfortable. I'm comfortable here. But when we do that, over time, your faith starts to become an it's all about me faith. It can, it can stifle your faith if you constantly say no to God. It can stifle your faith, faith if you don't want to see that mantle drop at your feet. And then if we, if we do this and we, we want to stay an apprentice where it's comfortable, then what can happen is it's, we start to focus on things like Am I being fed? And not, how do I feed others? Whether it's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, how, how do I feed others? How do I, how do I be the hands and feet of Christ? But when we get to that point, we start asking, am I being fed? That, that stifles our faith. If we do that, we may stop stepping up to say yes to God at all times. It can even, sadly, make us drop our, pri our faith as a lower priority in our life when our walk with God should be the highest priority because then God supports all the other priorities in our life because God does not harm us. Write that one down. God does not harm when God calls. It can be scary, but God does not harm. And when our priorities go down, we are seeing it in this culture. When Barna and other groups did studies years ago, a regular attender of worship, they came every week. At least three, but mostly four times a month. And now they do studies, and a regular attender is considered to be somebody that comes twice a month. You see it in our culture. Our culture has kind of slipped into, and it's about me faith. And we need to all pick up the mantle so we grow in our faith. And it is possible that if we try to stay in that comfortable apprentice zone, we may even start to be less concerned if others hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous, slippery slope. All through Scripture, God has made it clear that God's going to call us. We have jobs to do. We have things that God wants us to do. It will help us grow in our faith. It helps others grow in our faith. And God asks first surrender to God's plan. And learn to rely on God's presence and power to guide us. To trust that it's the Holy Spirit to equip us whether we feel equipped or not. God wants more from us than being comfortable apprentices. God wants to transform us into Christ-likeness. God wants to drop a mantle or multiple mantles at your feet so that you will pick them up and the love of Jesus will spread everywhere everywhere. So when that happens, you have a choice. You either say yes to God or you walk away. Let us pray. Holy Lord, give us the courage to live boldly in our faith, to trust you, to trust that when you call us to things we do not feel ready for, you are ready. Help us to place our trust and our faith in you. No matter what you call us to, if it's 
holding the hand of someone who's suffering through a bad time, if it's feeding those who are hungry, if it's visiting prisoners, if it's missions or facilitating discussions at the church or teaching children or leading Bible studies or leading Sunday school classes, whatever it is, joining the choir, Lord, you know what you are calling us to. Help us to trust you more and help us always to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin a double cure, save from wrath and Let me hide myself in thee. 